0: went straight down the middle then it started
1: welcome to, to another edition of for the good of the game Bruce Devlin I'll give a couple of clues I have a blue mound shirt on which uh
0: I got a blue shirt on too
1: no but mine's a blue mound shirt that's pretty special because <laughs> this is close to where our guest is from and then I've got a little something else here that uh uh you know might might give it away a little bit but it uh,
2: looks
0: nice.
1: Oh, I'm really happy to have this guy this morning, Bruce. Why don't you tell our listeners about uh, our guest?
0: Well, we're we're so happy that he joined us. Uh, he he obviously is still uh, writing the record as far as his playing capacity is concerned, but he's already a winner of 30 golf tournaments around the world. Uh, a great player and and. Uh, captain of the Ryder Cup team last year at Whistling Straits. We're glad to have Steve Stricker with us. Steve, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm honored to be on your show, Bruce and Mike, and uh, look forward to the next few minutes here to, to go over a few things. So thanks for having me. We're glad to have you, buddy.
0: I've been looking forward to this
1: as a, as a fellow Illini. And uh, I've got to ask you, uh, first of all, everybody is glad to hear about you being on the road to recovery. Of course, that's been on the news. We don't want to talk about that too much, but my question would be this. Uh, if, if you gain 30 pounds from season to season, does that make you eligible for comeback player of the
0: year?
2: That's right. That's, uh, that's what I, I wrote on my, uh, I got a list of exercises that I'm kind of rehabbing with, and I put comeback number three. So, that's my goal is to uh, to come back a little bit stronger and better than where I left it a few months ago. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm uh, working hard again and, and uh, glad that I'm feeling better and moving in the right direction.
1: Well, great. Uh, we thought what we'd do with the time that we've got with you, Steve, is uh, spend a little bit of time with the early years. And you can tell us a little bit about growing up in the Edgerton, Wisconsin area. And how you learned the game, how you got exposed to it, maybe take you up through your career at Illinois. And then we'll jump ahead a little bit because I'm sure our listeners would be anxious to hear your perspectives on the uh, on the big win at Whistling Straits in the Ryder Cup this fall. So maybe just go back to the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about growing up in, in Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, a small little town of 4,000 people. Um, my parents still live there today. We grew up right next to a a little nine hole golf course called, uh, Edgerton town country club. And, um, it's now 18 holes. And, uh, I had a, had a brother and a dad who loved to play. My mom didn't play, but, uh, it was kind of a family thing. It was a weekend thing, you know, and my brother and my dad and I would, would go play every weekend. And, uh, and then obviously I would play all during the week, uh, he, he was an electrician, a uh, self-employed electrician in the small little town and um, so I would I would join the junior league and play all week long. I had buddies who liked to play and so it was a, uh, a family affair really. and uh, that's how I learned the game. My dad was a pretty good player. Um, you know probably a uh, I, I can't remember his handicap, but maybe like a low single digits, you know, four, five, six handicaps, something like that um, so yeah, it was, it was something that I look forward to and enjoyed doing. And, um, I played other sports. I played basketball and baseball as well. So I felt like I had it all kind of covered and, um, it was, it was a great town. My family life was great and, um, played high school golf, uh, when it, you know, made it to state all four years as an individual kind of thing. Our team was, not good to make it as a team, but I still was able to get there. And, um, yeah, and that brought me on to the University of Illinois, Coach Ed Beard. Um, and, Mike, you're a Illini, so you know Champaign-Urbana. And uh, it was – it was uh, I wasn't heavily recruited. I didn't play a lot of golf events out of state, uh, played a lot of in-state stuff. And I had success in-state, um, but – really only a couple coaches really offered me anything and coach Ed Beard offered me a scholarship to go down there, which was about four hours away from home and close enough if I wanted to come back home. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience for me. Um, still keeping in contact with a number of the players today. Um, coach Beard, I, I just talked to last week. I'll be seeing him down here in Florida soon. So, uh, you know, that was, that was a nice place growing up in, in the small little town of Edgerton.
1: Bruce Devlin, uh, a couple of things we've heard from Steve about growing up, learning the game that we've heard from a lot of our guests. One is he, he learned on a nine hole course, which most of us did. Uh, and right. the other, uh, you know, he learned from his dad and or, his, or his, or his brother or whatever, you know, just playing and learning with family.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Steve, a lot of the guys that we've talked to played other sports too when they were younger, and they, uh, they, they all felt like that was a, a great help to them when they when they decided to play golf. And I guess it's uh, you know hand-eye coordination, rhythm, all the things that we look so you know we look at to play golf in the proper way. And I, I know that uh, you you got a very interesting caddy
2: too. Does she play golf? She plays a lot of golf. She practices probably harder at it than I do. And I agree with you. I think back when we grew up, you know, you you got uh, you got exposed to all these different sports and you learned you learned to, first of all, be a part of a team. Even though golf is an individual sport, you learn a lot of things from working well with others, playing well with others, you know, being a teammate. What does that mean? uh, Kind of thing. You know, so, um, yeah, I think. You know, you don't see that much today. You know, it seems like kids are focused on one sport, and they're, you know, all the programming and everything is uh, tailored to do that one sport all year long. So, I feel fortunate at the time that I grew up in that era where we we were able to expose ourselves to a lot of different things and have fun doing different things. And, yep, my wife uh, was an athletic person too, and she uh, she's very competitive. She loves carrying the bag and. Um, plays a lot of golf today, as well as my kids do too. They uh, they're into the game and and uh, working hard at it as well. Ah, uh, that's great,
1: Steve. When when you were in high school, did you have a fall season or a spring season?
2: We had a spring season. So as soon as and that's kind of the way I still uh, am today. You know, I back in high school when the snow, you know finally disappeared enough to show just a piece of grass you know you you threw some balls out there and you you went out there and you hit them and you went to find them even though they were probably in the snow Uh, but it was that excitement level that uh, got you going each spring Uh, and I kind of always have felt that way even to this day I feel like I need to take that break Uh, you know usually I take it now in the fall you know get away from the game for two or three months and Uh, And then and then I get that excitement level back again and and look forward to playing and working hard at it uh, for that nine, 10, 10 month period, uh, just like I did in high school. So kind of what I got used to and what I learned growing up. And uh, but, yeah, as soon as that first piece of grass showed, we were out there (laughs) hitting.
0: So also, uh, Steve, I I noticed where your uh, in-laws, too, they were they played a little bit of golf, too.
2: Oh yeah, you uh, you might have come across my father-in-law. Uh he was on tour uh late 60s maybe right up to 1970, Dennis Tiziani. And uh, I remember the name. I okay. sure do. Yeah, he played he played uh, about three seasons out on tour, you know, back then. As you know, Bruce, it was if you made the cut, you could move on kind of thing, right. you know. And they took a lot more Monday qualifiers and Um, so he did that for a period of time. So he, he's very knowledgeable about the game and, um, you know, has been my teacher really since, uh, you know, in between my sophomore and junior year in college. Um, and then I end up marrying his daughter. So it's family and, and, um, golf is in our family on both sides. His, his family is deep into the game too.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: You had to catch a lot of grief making that Illinois selection. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I still do. It's like, I can't really, um, and he, he recruited me as well. And I, I just wanted to, um, I wanted to experience college a little bit on my own, you know, get away from home. Like I said, I had a great home life, uh, great parents, but just far enough away where I was on my own. And I felt like I could, you know, experience that and grow up and, and learn some different things. And, uh, it was the right choice for me. And, Uh, But the one cool thing when, when uh, Tiz was recruiting me at Wisconsin is like, you know, if, if, if you ever need anything, anything whatsoever, don't hesitate to call or, you know, come back and, you know, so any, he was, he was so gracious about that. And, and um, I'll never forget that. And then I came back and started getting help from him and uh, he's, he's a wonderful man.
1: So if you were shopping around your high school credentials today, would Coach Small sign you?
2: Ooh, I don't think so. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's got a strong team every year and, and they've uh they've done some great things there at Illinois since he's taken over and um and developed some wonderful players and uh guys that have gone on to play tour you know, tour golf, not only here in the States, but, um, Thomas Peters just won over on the European tour. So he played for Smalley and yeah, I don't know if I could make Smalley's team back then. So it, it, it would have been, it would have been more of a challenge for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I think about it in terms of academics. I look back to, you know, I, I started 1974 and I asked myself, would I even get in the university, uh, today, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd even get in the school.
2: yeah it's uh things have changed and um but you know i'm sure you had a great experience there too it's just uh it's a it's a nice school and and that's what it is it's a it's a town it's a campus town and um you know the sport sports were always fun to go to they made a final four one year when we were there so um yeah it was it was a fun time
1: i miss cams garcias and papa (laughs) dells
0: No, I was what I was going to say Steve was uh Wisconsin state open you uh, you you pretty pretty much owned that for a few years didn't you went one as an amateur in uh, 1987 and f- four more victories after that so quite a record in that tournament
2: Yeah and it, it was uh something I even played it I think um a, a few times when I was uh you know playing I think I even was on tour, uh, and I came back to play it uh, just to show my support for the the state, um, the people there, the the pros that I had gotten to know over the years, and um, so it's it's out. You know, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm an emotional guy, but those those things are those things are important to me. You know, this my state, my family. Um, you know, I growing up there, I just uh, you know, I pinched myself just. The, the opportunities I had as a kid and then you know what has happened to me over the course of my career is uh, is very very uh, makes me happy you know and and something that I never thought I would do when I was a kid growing up in Wisconsin you know I had these dreams and desires to to play professionally but you know those are one thing but getting to that level is always another so um, yeah I'm very lucky and fortunate and humbled to be able to do what I've Done through the course of my career,
1: can you pinpoint Steve a time when you were younger where your game developed and reached a level where you said, Ah, I think I might be able to do this for a living.
2: You know I was fortunate like at every level uh, like the first few events um, at each level, I had some sort of success um, when i when I was playing. In Wisconsin, I I had success in Wisconsin. Then when I went to Illinois, um, it was my first event and I finished third or something like that. I won the Big Tens my freshman or tied for the Big Tens my freshman year. So I kind of got a taste of success right away at the next level. Uh, I turned pro and I went up to Canada and won my very first um, pro event up in Canada. So I'm like, hey, I can... I can do this. I can I can compete at that next level. So that, that gave me the the desire, the the confidence that I could you know continue on and try to improve. And uh it just fueled me at each at each level. And that's kind of what you know I attribute that to. Even before I got on tour, um I had a, a good showing at the Canadian Open uh on the regular tour. I finished fourth, I think, uh without even having my tour card. So that gave me the confidence like, hey, I can play out there. You know, I can hit some of the shots that these guys were hitting. And um, so that that was a big thing for me at each level that I got to see that I was, you know, on the right path. When I look at his record uh, in team competition, which he talked
0: about early, remember, growing up as a young boy playing different sports, uh, we, can, we can start with the uh, President's Cup. That might be a might be a good way to start about your team competition 14 and ten record in the president's Cup played in 96 2007 2009 thousand eleven, thirteen, and 2017 so uh, that's a, that's a that's a lot of uh, team competition Steve
2: yeah and those you know once you make one I made that 96 team uh, the president's Cup team and once you make one of those um, you're really you really strive to make more of those teams and and obviously the Ryder Cup is the pinnacle of the team events and um yeah so those those were always fun those are always great to be a part of and i learned a lot you know i've been a part of uh a lot of teams been a captain of both those teams and um learned so much uh as an assistant captain as a captain and and really it's you know just understanding your players you know and understanding your teammates when you are a teammate and, uh, being a good teammate. And I think, again, that brings me back to my upbringing of, of having good values from my parents, uh, playing team sports when I, when I did play those team sports back in Edgerton. And, um, uh, those were some great times, a lot of fun in those team rooms, got to know a lot of these players, uh, become friends and close friends with a lot of these players.
0: Well, the Presidents' Cups that you were involved in were, you know, were wins uh, all the way, or from '96 all the way through 2017. Uh, you got to play in uh, in some interesting places too. You went to Australia, and then you were in Canada playing as well.
2: Yeah, Australia. Um, that that's a that's an unbelievable golf course, and and that that one of my favorites. Um, played a, a president a. Uh, A World Golf Championship event in in, uh, Australia as well uh, at Metropolitan. Um, So, we, yeah, you're fortunate in this game, as you know, Bruce, to travel the world and travel your country and um, get to play some unbelievable places. And we're, again, very, very lucky to be able to do this for a living.
1: Steve, uh, as I look back at your experience, particularly the President's Cup, and I look at the list of captains, Arnold Palmer and, and, uh, Peter Thompson in the first one, and then Nicholas and player and so forth. And then moving ahead to last fall, when, when you stepped into the captain's role for the Ryder cup, you must've taken a little bit from each of those experiences in your learnings to try to apply that to then being a captain yourself.
2: Yeah, very much so. Um, I was an assistant, you know. I, I can't even remember three or four times uh, with the President's Cup, um, you know, and then and then with the Ryder Cup as well. Uh, an assistant under Tom Watson, uh, Davis Love, um, you know, Jay Haas on the President's Cup, uh, Davis Love again on the President's Cup. Um, so it it I uh, learned at each each one of those, you know, what works, what doesn't work what kind of um, demeanor to have with these players, what uh, what they want, you know, from you as a captain, and and then what I expect of them as a captain. So it's, um, I did, I learned a lot. So I felt like I was really qualified to be the captain last year at the Ryder Cup, um, even though that they've never had a captain, you know, and having not won a major. So I was kind of, you know, I heard some little bit of backlash when that, when I was first announced, like, hey, wait a second, you know, kind of thing. But um, it all worked out. We uh, we had a wonderful team. And, and uh, like I said, I learned a lot from all those times I was an assistant, really, um, and a captain of the President's Cup team.
1: Yeah. Let's look back quickly on your uh, playing career in the Ryder Cup, uh, participating in 2008, 10, and 12. The first one was a win at Valhalla, which had to feel good, but that was uh uh under some pretty good leadership. I mean, I know Paul Paul Azinger uh, got yeah. a lot of kudos for his approach with this pod system and how he sort of managed that team. Tell us a little bit about that experience.
2: Yeah, that uh that was my first Ryder Cup. Um and I didn't have a great Ryder Cup record. Um, you know, it it's uh I wish I could have done better in that but the experience under Paul and that team was uh unbelievable it was it was an eye-opening experience you know there in Louisville Kentucky um and Zinger did it he did it right I mean he, I learned a lot from him I I called him even prior to my captaincy last year uh to talk over a few things so um he did a lot of different things from what I understood because I that was my first team. So I, I really didn't know any different. Um, but he he got the players involved. The players took ownership of the team a little bit. Um, I was a captain's pick that year. And the first thing he says, who else would you like to see round out the team? And I'm like, wow, here, here I'm being a captain's pick. And yet he still asked my advice on who should round out this team, you know, to be in my pod. Um, so a lot of, a lot of really cool things that he did. Um, the team was loose. The team was, um, he got us fired up. The The crowd there was incredible. Um, yeah, it was a great experience.
1: And then the, the next one, uh, Corey Pavin was the captain that was at, uh, Celtic Manor. Uh, I think the problem Corey had was I played with him in the GMO pro-am, uh, a little, <laughs> just a few weeks before that. And I think I gave him some bad advice.
2: <laughs> yeah it uh you know I really I really uh believe that we could have really run the tables on this Ryder Cup uh in in that time period that I was playing um Corey did a great job we went over there weather was an issue um we we had a session where everybody played and that, that session, uh, which you would have thought was, should have been in our favor. You know, we should have been deeper. And uh, we took a, we took a hit on that ses- session, but um, we, we had an opportunity to win there. And, and then uh, we didn't. And then come to 2012, we had a four point lead, uh, you know, at, at Medina under Davis love and, you know, we should have won that one. So there was a period of time there that, we could have won, you know. Could have, should have, you know. All those kind of scenarios, <laughs> but you know, it, it could have flipped the other way pretty easily in those three years, and and it didn't. Um, hats off to the European side, but uh, again, we learned from our mistakes. I think in those uh, those few years,
1: a lot of a lot of drama in that Ryder Cup at uh, Medina. Of course, our listeners will remember. 2012, it was the previous May that uh, the world lost Seve Ballesteros, and of course, he was very uh, uh, present, I would guess, uh, or say, at that uh, particular Ryder Cup for the European side.
2: Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf, and that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pam. And Shepard, as we dive into them, insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you had to be there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Yeah, they they played off that motivation for sure. But we we had them down, you know. And and you know, you get you guys can attest. I mean, Bruce, uh, you know, when you have a team four down going into singles, you, you need to win that and we didn't do a very good job really Saturday night. We didn't, we, uh, and we, we know this as, uh, as players, as captains that we just didn't, uh, we didn't put our strongest out there to start with, you know, we didn't load the boat early on. And, right. and even, even the, even the Europeans question, uh, I know for a fact, one of the Europeans said, why didn't you send out, you know, the guys that were playing the best right away, you know, kind of thing. And I don't even remember who that would have been, but, um, we just, we didn't do that. And, uh, we paid the price really. I mean, it, it's something we learned from and, and it's something that I learned from because we took a lot of time on Saturday night, this last Ryder cup to make sure that we, we got it right in our minds. And, uh, that was all based off of, uh, what we didn't do in 2012.
0: And that's a whole team sort of decision on the Saturday night, isn't it? You all sit around and chat about who should go and who shouldn't go. And, you know, it's not just a captain's uh, choice either.
2: You know, back in 2012, the team got involved, um, you know, and and it kind of that was in our minds as captains. That was kind of the problem, you know, where you know, guys say, Hey, I want to go, you know, I want to go first off. I want to go second off. I want to go fourth off. I want to go seventh off, you know? And then we're like, okay, well, if he wants to go there, let's put him there, you know? And it's kind of a, it's a blind draw. So you really don't know. Uh, You know, so from that point on, we, well, I don't know what, I I know what we did this last Ryder Cup and, and it was just the assistant captains. And we, we put, we, we've been watching the guys and we know how they're playing. And, We put the guys out there in an order that we felt as captains um, should go in, and and kind of just told the guys be prepared to go anywhere. Um, You know, we had an idea where some guys wanted to go, but we basically said, you know, this is the order that we feel, you know, get our best out there right away, and uh, that's what we did.
1: Coming into this Ryder Cup, then as captain, Steve, you must have had a pretty good appreciation and. And knowledge of the uh, more recent Ryder Cup history, particularly the last 30 or 40 years, because uh, there have been some sea changes, particularly when the Europeans were added to the mix and things got more competitive. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your preparation and, and process for just uh, uh, learning that history.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we, we, you know, we see it growing up, you know, especially once you get on tour and you have that ability to make the team, you start to learn a little bit more about it. Uh, you know, I'm not a big history guy. I'm not a big, you know, go back and read the read the stuff, but I'll I'll watch it on TV. I'll watch the past Rider Cups. Um, I uh, I know how important it is as a player. I know how important it is as a competition. Uh, it's it's uh, I respect that. I I wanted to bring uh that respect to the competition and and be respectful of our competition the European team. Um you know it's something that is put in your hands and you don't want to screw it up kind of thing either because there's a lot of people that are uh wanting and they almost go overboard, right? Each these the fan base from each side almost goes to the point of being overboard and too much, but uh so you have that riding on uh, and that's gotten worse over the last few events. But yeah, I think it's just um the history of, of the Ryder Cup uh is very important. We all know how important it is and uh it's something you want to be a part of and uh you know, especially as a captain, I never thought that opportunity would come my way, but I- I'm glad I I did it. I'm very humbled that I was able to do it uh but I'm also very glad that it's over.
0: <laughs> so in 2018 uh you were you were vice captain behind uh, Jim Furick when uh, when you guys lost at uh Le Golf National.
2: Yep. Yeah, we got thumped. Um you know and, and again we learned a lot from that as well. Um you know Jim Jim told me, you know, 6 months before the competition he's like uh, and he had played the co- he had played the course, and he's like, we need we need players like himself to make the team, like a, a Jim Furyk kind of player, a Zach Johnson kind of player, uh-huh. Kevin Kis- Kisner, uh, guys that hit it straight, uh, little bulldogs of, of players, you know. And uh, he knew that's what he needed on that team, and those guys that were close to there, Kisner, Zach. Um, guys like that, they just didn't step up their game when, when Jim needed to see it towards the end of the season. So the bigger hitters were making the team, you know, and we needed guys that, you know, you know, kept it in play, didn't make a lot of bogeys, players like that. And, and, um, so that he had to go with the guys that were playing well. And we've kind of learned that, you know what, we got to, we got to kind of find the guys that fit the golf course. And that's what we did at Whistling Straits too. So again, we, we learned from uh, what happened there and uh, we hopefully apply it to more Ryder Cups in the future too.
1: You had an extra year to prepare.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I didn't, I didn't like that extra year. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was, it was a long time. I mean, it, like I said, I'm glad it's over. Uh, it was a wonderful experience, but it, it took up a lot of my time. Uh, a lot of my brain power is what it took up. And, you know, you're constantly thinking about it. You're thinking about how you can, uh, do certain things, uh, you know, Try to, we, you know, practice rounds. You know, we got everybody there for practice. You're always thinking about, you know, how to make it a, a great competition and a great experience for your team. Um, so, yeah, that extra year added, you know, a few years onto my life, I think.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question. How much time uh, did you actually spend during that period of time? I mean, hours and hours and hours uh over that over that 3 year period it had to be uh, had to be very time consuming clothes bags all the rest of it
2: you know the PGA of America does a great job um they 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 can take care of everything if you want them to um but we're involved my wife was involved um you know but i i would say that it you know we have weekly calls when it gets closer to the competition all that kind of stuff but i think the biggest thing is it's just always on your mind You know, I stayed out on that regular tour another, you know, three years or at least another couple years because I wanted to be out there and seeing the players and not not disappear and not be irrelevant out there on the regular tour. So I could have gone to the Champions Tour if I wasn't the captain. I probably would have. Uh, But. Since I was a captain, I stayed out there. Got to see these guys. You know, played practice rounds with some of them. Got to know some of the younger players that were going to make the team. Played practice rounds with Zalatoris, that ended up just missing out. But Colin Morikawa, you know, guys like that that I never—if I—if I, if I would have played the Champions Tour, I would have never seen them. So I felt that it was important to do that, and I think it was just the—the the brain power that you're always thinking about it. You know, what can I do? Um, you know, what what could motivate these guys? You know, and you feel a lot of pressure as the home captain to win. I mean, we should win at home. We always haven't, but we should. Um, so you're always just, you know, thinking about what you can do to to hopefully come out on top.
1: I'm sure like prepping for a major, Steve, you were planning to peak in the fall of 20. Uh, twenty you know to get ready for this thing and then and then to have to reset the clock another year later but as i recall that uh, that twenty twenty date was coming right on the heels of the u s the rescheduled u s open wasn't it
2: uh yes, it was it was gonna be uh i think a week off in between or i mean but it was it was gonna be close to the u s open and fortunately they they called off the Ryder Cup pretty far in advance, you know. Where, you know, we were able to redo the point system. Uh, we we took more picks. It was four picks, but it, we took six. Uh, we decided to go with six picks instead of four, uh, which I think will continue uh, for the next Ryder Cups. It, it turned out to be a really a, a good thing to be able to have that flexibility. If you want, um, yeah. So it was it was. Um, it was a challenge. It it was defi- definitely a challenge, but uh, one that I wouldn't trade for.
1: So b- before we jump into the competition itself, you've got to be, as a proud Wisconsinite, you've got to feel really good about where golf is in the state of Wisconsin with what's going on, uh, looking at Kohler, uh, what's happened at Kohler, what's continuing to happen at Kohler with a new golf course in development, uh, what's going on at Sand Valley with uh, two courses there, two yeah. new courses coming on stream. Uh, Aaron Hills, the great Milwaukee area tracks that you know all about and, and other greats like Lasonia and century world. You got to feel real good about golf in Wisconsin right now.
2: Yeah, it is kind of a golf hotspot. Uh, you wouldn't think Wisconsin, you're, you're, uh, you're going to call it a golf hotspot, but you know, for the, you know, seven months out of the year, um, we love our game. There's a lot of great courses. Uh, Century World, as you mentioned, is going to host a U.S. Senior Open, uh, I think, in 2023, next year. Um, yeah, and, and all those courses you mentioned are all wonderful courses, and uh, it's become a golf destination for sure. And and to to have the ability to play a Ryder Cup at Herb's place, Herb Kohler uh, at Whistling Strait, he's a friend of mine, and I've known him for a long time, and he's really kind of the – the father of, of, of golf, of, of what happened in the state of Wisconsin. You know, he, he did what he did and others kind of joined, joined in on that. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's got a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of history with some of the old courses as you are wearing one of the shirts of, and, mm-hmm, yeah. and then, uh, we've got all these brand new places going up all over the place in Wisconsin that, uh, Get the attention of, of people coming to Wisconsin in the summertime, and it's a beautiful spot in the summer.
0: So, Steve, I think I think the Ryder Cup last year is indicative of what's happened to this game of golf, too. When you look at the team that you had, I believe you might have had the youngest team that's ever played the Ryder Cup, and boy, have it, have they shown how good they are!
2: Yeah, and we're excited about the future for sure. I mean they they uh, they've sh- They've proven themselves already at the biggest stages. You know, I mean, like Colin Morikawa, right? I mean, the guy is unflappable. Uh Bryson, uh, Brooks Kepka. I mean, these guys have won uh Jordan Spieth. You know, all these guys have won the biggest events and um, you know, they they're young, they get along with one another. Um, so I'm excited for what's in store, uh, hopefully what's in store, right? I mean, it's always Uh, always a challenge to go over to Europe and and try to win over there. We haven't won over there since 1993. So that shows you how hard it is for us to go over there and win. Um, but these guys, if, if anybody can do it, it's this group of kids and players that are currently, uh, that were currently on that team. And there's still a bunch more that are, you know, right there in the wings going to try to make the team. And, uh, so I'm excited.
1: I think I counted thirteen majors across this group uh, that was assembled last year for the for the Ryder Cup, uh, led by uh, Brooks Kepka with four. Uh, I'll just a quick uh, quick uh, aside on on Daniel Berger, who uh, just happens to be top alphabetically on the list. But uh, we were visiting with Ian Baker Finch uh, not too long ago, and he recounted a story where he was playing with Daniel Berger, uh, just a little, uh, at his club or whatever. And, uh, and I, they might've just been meeting, but he commented to, to Baker Finch. He says, yeah, he says, uh, yeah, you, you won something, didn't you?
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. Maybe the uh, open championship,
1: uh, you know, no big deal.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> right. But a great group of young, young guys, uh, uh, Bryce and DeChambeau. You might have seen this. I saw this in Golf magazine. Bruce, you're gonna love this if you didn't see it. They they listed Bryce and DeChambeau's stock yardages with each club. Now, granted, the loft on his clubs probably a little different than the lofts you carried, Bruce, in your bag, but uh uh stock yardage. I would think so. Four iron stock yardage, two sixty-four.
0: <laughs> that's ridiculous that was my driver best best of the day driver, 264
1: <laughs> five wood five wood five wood stock yardage 306 five wood that's wow. a joke isn't it? and and steve you witnessed this firsthand i mean you see it every day with some of these guys it's uh it's it's unreal
2: it's it's very impressive i can't get over how how hard they hit it and the sound of which they hit it, you know, is, is really impressive. They compress it so hard. All these guys go down and they, they take pretty big divots and they compress the ball. And, um, it's very impressive. It, um, Bruce, so that's sick, you know, to give you, to give you an idea, that's probably, okay. So he's swinging at 225 miles an hour now, right? Yeah. So that's 60 or 70 miles per hour faster than probably what you and I would swing it as. You know, I'm in the low one sixties.
0: So uh, I'm, in, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, low one tens.
2: <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, so, so that's ball speed, right? So they say it's two to three miles or two to three yards per, per mile. mile.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: So he's out driving us by, if it's just two, it's 130, 140 to 180 yards you know that he's out driving us it's crazy so, it, it is, is crazy. crazy yeah
0: well
1: let's talk a little bit about the competition then because uh it was uh at least from a fan's perspective uh, a a an easy win i know the competition is tough uh it's generally never easy in the Ryder cup but you got off to a great start on friday didn't you
2: yeah we got off to a great start friday uh six and two and then we come out and, um, we do the same in the morning, another three in one session session. So we're up nine to three. And then, um, yeah, is that what it was? I yeah. Yeah, it was. yeah. You're right. Then, then, yep. then you split, uh, split, we split in the afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. Yep. So it was eleven five. Um, yeah, it, it, um, it, we got off to a great start and, our thing was just to win every session. Um, the, the Saturday afternoon one kind of worried me the most. You know, it it's the end of two long days. Um, I had to, I was going to send Jordan and, and uh, JT out there in the afternoon and JT looked extremely tired in the morning, Saturday morning. Um, that kid gives it all, you know, I mean, he's got, he's got a lot of emotion and you know, he looked tired. He started hitting some shots that didn't really look JT like. And, and um, you know, even the caddy came up to me and said, listen, you know, he looks tired. He's probably should sit this afternoon. Uh, another person, I think it was even uh, a, a commentator, you know, said something to me. And then the assistant captain. So uh, we had to break that up that pairing up in the afternoon on Saturday, just cause I wanted JT to rest and then get ready for singles. And, uh, so that, that threw a little wrench into our plans and you got to expect that, you know, every, every team, there's something that's going to happen that you're not really prepared for. And so we threw, uh, we threw another great pairing out there, Brooks and, and Jordan, um, something that we didn't see coming, but we kind of had to make something up on the fly. And, um, so, anyways, we we split, and that was that was a good that was a good split in my mind on that Saturday afternoon just to just to keep some momentum and have that big lead going into Sunday. So, how
1: how well did you sleep Sunday, uh, Saturday night?
2: Actually, I slept really well the whole the whole time. I you know I felt like I I did so much preparing, uh, had all these scenarios, uh, and then once we made the pairing Saturday night um, you know, it was over basically in my mind that I could go out there and, you know, I was still nervous about the outcome, obviously. Uh, but we had a good lead, but you know, it's still not over kind of thing. But at that point there wasn't anything more I could do. I mean, we, we made those pairings and, uh, it was just to go out and cheer these guys on and, uh, watch golf and, you know, be there for support. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It it was, it was fun. And yet to, you know, I'm glad it's done.
1: A Ryder cup for the ages. You were a great captain. It was a great competition. I think you're right. I think this young group could probably win a few more, uh, if they stay healthy and, uh, and so forth, uh, uh, it may be under different captains because that's a lot of investment for any one person to make over a three-year period to prepare, yeah. but, uh, congratulations on that. Uh, Bruce, uh, So delighted that uh, Steve could join us this morning. I hope we get a chance to to come back with him and maybe tell the rest of his story.
0: Yeah, we do too, Steve. We hope you can come back and uh, we'll we'll concentrate on the wonderful career you've had as a player. And uh, we thank you for your time today. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, in your coming years still playing golf. And I'm glad you're feeling better, buddy. That's great.
2: I appreciate that, Bruce. And I was always a fan of yours. I never really got to – our eras didn't really cross paths that much, but I, I enjoyed watching you growing up as a kid. And and um, so I'm delighted and humbled to be on your show as well. So thanks for having me. Mike, former Illini, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. It, it, uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Stay well, friend. Yeah, you guys too.
1: Thank you, Stephen. good luck with comeback number three.
2: It went straight down the middle. <laughs> I appreciate that take care guys thank
1: you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game and please wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify if you like what you hear, please subscribe spread the word and tell your friends until we tee it up again for the good of the game so long
0: everybody whack down the fairway